and welcome to Cecil Radio, a chance to talk through all kinds of topics about Cecil. I'm Susan Weber, and I'm joined today by Rob Smalley, principal and leader of our financial services practice group. Hi, Rob. Hey, Susan. Glad to be here. Always glad to be talking Cecil with our very own Cecil Sue. <laughs> oh my goodness, that nickname is going to stick forever, I think. So Rob, our topic today is Cecil model validation. And I know that this topic is really important. It comes up from, you know, comes up all the time. Lots of conversations that we've been having with people all over the country. Absolutely. You know, we've, we've been completely engaged in Cecil since, you know, really pr- prior to 2016 when the pronouncement came out. Uh, but it really wasn't until the last couple of years that validation became such a such a hot topic. I think there is still a lot of mystery behind it in the mm-hmm. work we've done in the last couple of months. You know, really being consumed by Cecil with the adoption and you know helping folks with adoption entries and reviewing their calcs and you know helping our public companies through the disclosure and the in the first queue, which. Um, could probably be a podcast on its own. <laughs> a big uh, effort, right? A big effort. There, yeah. The, behind the scenes, there's always these questions about validations. And I think hopefully we can shed some light on that today and really ask ourselves, you know, the question and answer the question, you know, why is model validation so important and um, what's expected from it? That's a great question. It, it is one we get a lot. So this is the way I kind of think of it. A robust and holistic model validation is really what is on the table here. And it helps management as well as model owners and operators in three really critical areas. The first one is it helps them achieve required independence over the validation. And that independence is, is a requirement and it's really tough for a lot of institutions to, to get some full independence around that calc. The second thing is it helps them meet expectations for what we call robust challenges. Challenge, right? So this is management's ability to uh, really dig deep into the calculation and and question and provide a lot of question around it. And sometimes that is very difficult uh, in organizations. And then the third thing is to prepare the entire organization very well for regulatory exams and audits. And um, you know that one bears repeating, right? It really it, you get a lot of value from these holistic reviews, and and that will save you time in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly these three areas that you spoke about, um, they're going to get a lot of regulatory and, and audit scrutiny. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly as we've spoken to folks, there still seems to be some questions about whether validations are required and what the expectations for independence in terms of who can perform these validations. Can, can you tell us Can you clarify those two areas for us? (laughs) I certainly can try. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll certainly try. So I guess what I would say is model validations are a regulatory requirement. That doesn't mean that your auditor isn't also asking. And in many cases, it actually eases some of the burden for the auditors. They still have to tick and tie things for themselves, but it is a regulatory requirement first and foremost. Um, The expectations for what constitutes a validation are spelled out in interagency supervisory guidance for model risk management. And when I say interagency, I mean all of them, right? It's that whole alphabet soup. It's OCC, FDIC, FRB, as well as NCUA. So just for folks listening who might not be familiar with all the acronyms, that's Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the Federal Reserve Board, and the National Credit Union Administration. They've all endorsed uh, this expectation for model risk management. So as Cecil was coming online in the first phase uh, back in 2020, seems like a, a 
lifetime ago now, um, the regulators really stressed the importance of independence. So when it comes to CECL model validation, they went on to say that anyone who had been involved in developing, testing, managing, or operating the CECL model would not be independent, right? So the very folks that many institutions have had entrenched in this model development and this methodology decision-making are the folks that are not independent from a validation perspective. So in this way, um, their disclosure, the regulator's disclosure around independence was really similar to independent standards say that they set up for other major functions like appraisals, right? Same, same kind of threshold for independence. Is it safe for an institution to go out into the market and assume that all validations are the same and that mm -hmm. all the requirements requirements will be met uh, and that will meet the objectives of, of the regulatory statute? So I'm going to be very clear here. Are all validations the same is really the question that I heard you say no. They are not. No, they are not. And it is really important, I think, for institutions to understand this disparity or this discrepancy. We've seen in our own work a wide range of activities that are all being called model validations out in the market, but they are very different in terms of scope, what we call scope and activities. Um, so, for example, we've seen some that are little more than just a list of very specific items checked, more like one plus one equals two, um, than something that would really rise to the level of, you know, robust challenge and comprehensive methodology and really helping people understand. You know, a lot of our clients tell us that, you know, a very holistic model validation really helps clarify some of the inner workings of the model that they haven't yet been able to discover for themselves. So again, um, a wide discrepancy, and it's really important for institutions to, to, to really understand that going in. What are they getting? That's great. Um, thinking about from their perspective, you know, how do you ask that question? What are, what are we getting? You know, how do we make sure we get robust challenge? And, you know, that's really making sure that they're testing the senior sort of an executive management oversight, you know, the, challenging the structure and assumptions that go into it, really um, how those individual components work together not just like, like you said, kind of one plus one equals two. Mm -hmm. I really love an analogy that I've heard you use a few times with respect to, you know, building cars. You know, would you oh. share that with us today? <laughs> yeah, so I love analogies. Anybody who's been listening to these podcasts knows that I, I tend to throw a lot of them out there, but the car one, you know, that's really about um, the way I think about the CECL methodology being put together in pieces, right? So it's kind of like an assembly line for cars. And, you know, the idea being that you may have absolutely done right by the individual components like segmentation, life of loan, prepayment rates, or speeds. You might have, have thought about them individually as you were making those decisions. You might have even had separate work groups focused on making those decisions. And so think of those like your steering wheel, your brakes, your seats. But if at the end of all of this, when it comes off the assembly line, if the steering wheel, however nicely constructed or beautiful that it is, is on top of the hood of the car, then the car isn't really functional in the end. And that's how I think of the methodology for CECL. Um, that's what a really robust validation is going to help management understand before you try and use it. Susan, we've successfully performed a number of these validations over the past year. What has been some of the key takeaways you've noticed for clients at the end of the process? 
Well, one of the things I, I think it's really, you know, all an approach. Um, you know, one one thing that we've heard very clear in in our exit conversations with clients on the validation is that they really felt um, very good about the way that it felt like a partnership going through this. You know, we 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 take our time through these. You know, these are not you know quick check the box exercises. These are very conversational throughout, so that they're getting a good sense of what kinds of questions are, are coming up, what kinds of um, thinking that they're going to need to put behind you know answers that they're giving auditors and regulators. And so there's a lot of back and forth, especially in the middle section. So this partnership is is one thing that I know clients have valued, but I. I think what most people really want and need from the validation is really less transactional and more strategic, right? Asking the questions of what does this combination of choices I've made really mean? What's it going to do in real time? You know, we've been in this test environment. What's it going to feel like when we go live with this? And is there something that I'm overlooking? Um, you know, and so I think, you know, those are some real key things that people are going to take away. Absolutely. Um, are, there, are there any resources that you might recommend with respect to model validation? Oh, absolutely. I think there are several really good documents worth checking out. Um, I always like to read them in advance of exams and audits to just make sure we had our bases covered. Every time I read it, I felt like I discovered something new or thought about it in a different way. So the first one is the Interagency Supervisory Guidance on Model Risk Management that I mentioned earlier. The second one is the OCC's uh, Comptroller's Handbook for the Allowances for Credit Losses, and that was put out in April of 2021. Um, it gives you a lot of really great information about how people are going to methodically go through uh, the allowances and it gives you kind of insight and I always like to think you know, like an examiner, an auditor when they're coming in-house that, you know, I, I'm just prepared. I feel like I'm prepared that way. So I really encourage people to be familiar with those. And they can find these documents through Google search or by going to the OCC's website, which is occ.treas.org and searching for them there. Well, we've covered a lot of topics today. <laughs> As it turns out, CISL model validation is required by the regulators. It must mm -hmm. be done in an independent fashion, and not all model validations are the same. So it's important if you go into the market and you're looking at someone like us, at Barry Dunn, or uh, someone else, you know, really asking detailed questions about what exactly are you going to get with the service and what can you expect for um, ways that will interact with your team and what sort of deliverables we'll get at the end. Really important stuff. Quick invitation to our listeners to submit any questions or comments to our Ask the Advisor feature or reach out to Susan or me and we'll provide some links to those things in the podcast description. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rob. This was really fun and an important conversation I know we've wanted to have for a while. And thanks to our listeners. We hope you'll join us again. Be sure to check out our other Cecil Radio podcasts on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.